All right, if you would take your Bible and look at John chapter 12, we're going to be looking through the first 11 verses or so of that chapter this morning. Uh, We covered chapter 11 over uh, two weeks, which is pretty good for 57 verses there. And the bulk of that is the healing and the raising uh, from the dead of Lazarus. And then we studied last week the response of the people around uh, that circumstance. We said it was interesting. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and the Pharisees' response is, Oh no, what's going to happen? They're gonna, the, the Romans are going to come. They're going to take away our position. They're going to take away our nation. We're not going to have the political p- power that we have now. We're not going to have the religious uh, posterity that we have now. We have to do something about this. And their reaction, as we mentioned over and over in the gospel, Jesus heals a blind man and they say, he did it with mud on the Sabbath. That's terrible. And he heals a lame man, and they go to the lame man and say, you can't be carrying your mat around, walking around. Uh, that, that's against the Sabbath. And then he heals a man and raises him from the dead, and their response is, oh no, this is terrible. And so their reaction to God's true working is wrong. But often uh, we, in the same way, respond in the wrong way to how God wants to work in our world and in our lives. And uh, we mentioned last week that God wants to reach all people, that He is not specific to one nation or one type or one group of people. So we discussed that. And now in chapter 12, you'll see the title there. It says that Mary anoints Christ. It's a story that we are familiar with. So I would like to walk through just this first part. This is really just before the triumphal entry. We have sort of hit the halfway Mark of the book of John, but you'll notice uh, we have gone quickly through the ministry of Jesus in the book of John. Really, the rest of the book is going to be dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And so you see what really impacted John, not just his physical ministry and the, and the healings and the miracles on this earth, but what Jesus did to sacrifice for us, and that's what he emphasizes over these last few chapters. And so, sort of as we've rounded the corner, this is kind of how the second half of the book of John opens with the raising of Lazarus and then with uh, Mary anointing Christ, as we're going to read about this morning. If you would look at verse number one, and let's all read uh, through down through verse number 11. It says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. And if you remember, that's the same city we were just in. He had left and gone out to the wilderness because people wanted to kill him after he raised Lazarus and all these different things. And then now he's come back to Bethany. It says, where Lazarus was, was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now, just think for a moment, you'll see there probably at the top, your title says Mary anoints Christ, and then in your Bible you may have two other references, Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Those are parallel accounts of the same story that give us some additional details. It's interesting, they're not actually back in the house of Lazarus. Mark chapter 14 tells us that they were actually in the house of a man named Simon who was a leper. And so this is a pretty cool picture if you think about the fact that Jesus is in the house of a leper, 
and he obviously has healed this man, because if he was a leper, he wouldn't be having people over to his house. He probably wouldn't be in his house. He would have been outcast from the town. And so he's in the house of Simon, the leper who he has healed, and he's sitting with Lazarus, the man who he has raised from the dead. And so this is a pretty neat picture if you think, think about what Jesus is doing in these people's lives. And you see there, kind of, there, there's more than just Mary in this story. It says that someone there had made him a supper. It says that Martha served it. Now, we sometimes kind of discount Martha, don't we? Kind of like, oh, she was the busybody that wasn't paying attention. But each of these people are sort of worshiping Jesus in a different way. We kind of focus on Mary because of the lavishness of her sacrifice for Christ. But Martha is serving too. Martha, with her heart, worships and serves Jesus Lazarus is just really wanting to be there with Jesus, where it says that he sat at the table. That word sat really means reclined. And if you know a lot about Jewish culture, where they would sit, they did not sit at a wooden table in wooden chairs, uh, you know, kind of how da Vinci painted the Last Supper. That's not exactly how they ate. They sat a lot of times on these kind of dining couches. And that sounds good to us, right? Right about now, you know. They kind of lay out on these long sofas. If you think about kind of an Ethiopian, if you've ever been to an Ethiopian-style restaurant, kind of similar to that. And so they're kind of reclining. So you kind of picture Lazarus relaxing, reclining, lounging near Jesus, being in his presence. And then, in verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, he puts there to let us know, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, Matthew and Mark tell us that she actually anointed his head also. So you can kind of picture anointing his head, and it's running down through, uh, across his clothes, across his body, all the way down to his feet. And it says that she wiped his feet with her hair, a picture of sacrifice. And then look at verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, gives us sort of a parenthesis, yes, this is that same Judas. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. That word bare there means literally to take or to pilfer. So it's actually teaching us here that somewhere along the way, not only was Judas keeping track of the money, says he was a thief, and he had started to take the money that was in the bag. And so he already is sort of gleaning and taking advantage of his relationship in a way with Jesus Christ for himself. Then you see it says in verse number 7, Then said Jesus, uh, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this, for the poor always you have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So you have in the last chapter, people wanted to kill Jesus. And then now at the end of this section of chapter 12, people want to kill Lazarus. But wedged right in the middle is the sacrifice of a woman who tells us much of the worth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at this passage this morning. Lord, we praise you for your goodness and your love. We ask that you would teach us this morning from the sacrifice of Mary, but also from the attitude of Judas, that you would point inward to our hearts this morning 
and help us to understand where we are currently lining up in our spirit about Christ. And we pray that you'd help us in this way, in your precious and holy name. Amen. As we read through this story, we mentioned that the title says, Mary anoints Christ. But if you look back at the chapter for a moment, how many verses of this chapter, of this portion of this passage, are actually devoted to Mary anointing Jesus Christ? How many verses do you see there that are kind of dedicated to that? Anybody notice that? One. And so it's more than just here is what Mary did, and here is this action that Mary took. There is more that they are trying to teach us. Now, we can learn a lot from that one verse, but it is interesting that right away we are told of Judas' reaction to this gift. And so we're not just being taught of Mary's lavish sacrifice. We're being taught of Judas, and we're going to find in a moment, really most of all of the disciples, their attitude about this. And it's going to be a contrast and a comparison. Because we know that Mary, in a way, is signifying what is going to come from the death of Christ. And she says, I don't have forever to give what I can to Christ. And Judas says, I don't have Christ forever, so I have to get what I can from Him. And he's going to, John's really trying to teach us, I believe, kind of a contrast here. And it's Jesus' reaction, not just to her sacrifice, but Jesus' reaction to the disciples' reaction. Now, it's not a difficult intellectual question when we think about which side should we land on, Mary or Judas. If you look through our church roll this morning, you'll probably find a few Marys. You won't find any Judas. Uh, he's in, infamously known for his rejection of Christ. But remember, that has not happened yet. And for the most part, no one knows his heart or his attitude. In fact, he's probably sort of one of the leaders of the disciples. They don't just give the money bag to the careless one. They, they give, this, is, this is the one that people know, if you want to donate to Jesus' ministry, if you want to give to Jesus' ministry to be able to help him travel and do these different things, this is the one that you see for that. Judas is sort of looked up to in that way. And so if we're honest this morning, and I know at least if I'm honest in my own heart, when I read this story, as much as I say, go marry and boo on Judas, if we really look at it and try to place yourself in that same circumstance, not knowing what is coming and not knowing Judas' heart, we may find ourselves that we may would have lined up a little bit more with Judas in this regard. Because we would have looked and said, what a, what a lavish sacrifice. What a waste is what the disciples say in Matthew 26. It says that they were indignant against it. They were angry at how she had done this. And it was a waste. And they're thinking, this is all this money could have gone to our ministry. And yeah, Judas is right. This could have gone to the poor. And it's a logical thing that we may have even thought the same thing. Let's look this morning at what Jesus emphasizes about these two. It's their heart and it's their attitudes. I want you to see that, you know, it's not just Mary. We mentioned that there's other people there. Mary's actions, though, were not normal. That's what brings her to our mind in this story. Martha served and sacrificed for Christ, but in a way it was kind of a normal sacrifice. If you're hosting, you're doing different things. Now, interesting enough, she's not in her own home, so she's serving in the home of someone else. And she's serving, but in our minds we think that is kind of normal. Lazarus wants to be in the presence of Jesus. He's sitting there with him, and there's not a weird action to that. He's just there with him. But what Mary does, what draws attention to it, is the fact that it is not normal. 
It is not something that when we read today, we think, wow, that's something that we do. I don't remember the last time I saw this at a, at a dinner meeting of any sort, even though we may have a birthday. and We say we celebrate these people and we're celebrating this person, how precious they are to us, Mother's Day, Father's Day. This is not something that we typically do. And you say, well, what about in their day? It's not something that they typically did either, except when someone was dead at their burial. This is not something that was normally done. In fact, it would have been uncouth, almost scandalous for the way that Mary is treating Jesus here, especially for if she was a single woman or a married woman, to let her hair down was kind of against the cultural norms of the day, and they would have kind of been taken back and why is she acting like this? It would have kind of given a pit in their stomach, like, what is coming next? And you say, well, what does it say in the original? You know, if this is kind of weird in our culture, what about in their culture? What does the Greek say? Well, the Greek says it's weird. This is not normal. This is not something that they would have done. And so what really draws attention to this is her lavish gift and her selfless sacrifice, but not just the action, it's the motive. And the fact that she believed that Jesus was worth all that she could give him. Most likely, this is the most expensive, most valuable thing that she owned. Remember, Judas says, uh, he said this could have been sold for 300 pence. That word there for pence means denarius or denarii. That's 300 denarii. We, we see this word in other places in Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, sort of a silver coin that would be worth that amount. It was sort of known to be the average working man's day's wage. And so that's where we kind of get the thought. It's a year's worth of living. There's 300 of these. He said, we could have sold these for 300 denarii, 300 pence, 300 silver coins. That is worth a, a man's, a working man's day's wage. It's worth all of that. And if you factor in the Sabbath days and they weren't working for at least 50 or so, 52 of those. And then there was uh, cultural things and festivals and traveling and everything. So, so, so when you look at this, it was a year's worth of work day's value is what Judas is saying. A year's worth of work and you poured it out on Jesus' feet. What a waste. You kind of put this in our mindset today. Let's think of maybe the average American household. We may have in this room this morning people that make far more than this in a year or far less than this in a year but say in the average american home a, a husband and a wife working and everything let's say let's put a round number on say they make fifty thousand dollars worth of money working in a year in other words she's pouring out a year's worth of, she's pouring fifty thousand dollars worth of ointment on jesus head and feet it's probably the most lavish thing she now we're not sure where she got it was it some sort of uh uh, uh family heirloom? Was it something that she had purchased? Were they a wealthy family? We're not sure. We know it says that it was made of spike nerd. This is kind of an exotic, it's, it's for sounding so pretty, it's so nasty a word. It's called the nard plant. Uh, from It grows over in India particularly. It naturally grew at that point up in the Himalayas, and so it was difficult to, to get. This is kind of over the top. If you just Google most expensive perfumes in the world, and I'm going to guess no one here is wearing this this morning. Uh, it says, Clive Christian Number no. 1 Imperial Majesty Perfume. Their description is a sophisticated scent for women with a perfume, weightless and enchanting. The scent is of Tahitian vanilla with a hint of rosa sinfolia that is reminiscent of the goddess and love of beauty Aphrodite. I'm not sure how we know what she smells like. <laughs> it says, at the heart of this is ylang ylang, and it will give women the sense of wearing a perfect diamond necklace. I'd rather have the necklace around their neck. 
This perfume sells for $12,721 per ounce. Now, if you're wearing that this morning, you probably now feel quite awkward. <laughs> but you're probably not going to go around and pronounce, this is what I'm wearing because I'm worth it. You know, that's probably not really the way you publicize it. But as lavish as that may sound, Mary says, you are worth everything that I have. Everything that I can bring. Everything with complete, reckless abandon. She pours it out. Mark in chapter 14 tells us that she broke the alabaster jar that it was in. Now, they had to get it into that jar somehow. So I'm guessing there was a mouth or a seal on it. She did not uncork it and pour it out slightly and save some of her use on it. She broke it. She said, I will give it all. And it's an attitude of worship and surrender that we should have as well. And we may think, well, today, yeah, that would have been nice to give Jesus a little bit, maybe a dab here or there or save some of it and sell it. But she said, I will give it all. It's hard for me being related to my dad that I, I think sometimes of the cost of things and how can we get this at a bargain. And when I go to you know, some fancy restaurant and typically I'm not the one paying in that <laughs> circumstance or you know, whatever it may be, and the french fries are $54 and I wonder if they're dipped in gold or whatever it may be. And we think, wow, this is outlandish. That is how they would have felt about Mary on that day. Verse 7 says that, she was saving this for the day. It says for the day toward the day of his bearing. And I don't know that she knew how quickly he would die or why, but she really in essence is saying, I'm not going to wait until he dies. I want to show him my love now. And when we are serving Christ, it's a picture this morning that we do not wait until the time is right or we feel the moment is better. We serve Christ and we give ourselves to Christ now as Mary did. Imagine a man going off to war to the fiercest battle he may ever face and you give him a $50,000 diamond diamond studded watch and say, take this into the battle. That's not something we feel like this, this is kind of a waste or a kid going out to a playground or whatever it may be. You say, this is a waste. Why would you do this? And Mary doesn't totally understand what's going on, and, but she treasures Jesus and we're thinking, but still $50,000 in an evening? Again, we don't know exactly where it came from, but we know that people don't normally blow a year's salary in five minutes. And let's, So let's be honest at this point. What Judas says and what he does seems morally defensible, doesn't it? In a way. To look out and think, why would you do that that way? There are so many better ways we could have used that. And the disciples are thinking, we have stopped fishing. We don't have jobs anymore. Do you know how we get around? Like we, we go by the sacrifice and the offering of others. We stay at other people's house. We sleep outside. We borrow food. Do you know what we could have done with the money? Do you know how we could have planned that to be used for Jesus' ministry better than the way that you did it? And it, it, they're so focused on their own plans, it would have been easy to agree with Judas. And in fact, like I said, Matthew 26 says that the disciples did agree with Judas. Judas isn't even mentioned there. It says the disciples were indignant against her for her waste. They don't know what's in Judas' heart, and he initially says, oh, we could have sold this and given it to the poor. And his attitude, isn't it interesting how he tries to defend it by his own self-righteousness? Isn't it interesting sometimes when we see someone serving Christ with their all, 
how we logically try to justify that we don't have to do that right now because of some other reason. It's almost like we try to bring someone back to our level that we may say, well, they're serving Christ more than me, but I have a reason for not serving Christ in this way right now. I, in fact, it's a righteous reason, the way that Judas could say, well, it's the poor. Just think about the poor. And so it would be easy to realize that this statement or his argument was gaining momentum. And he says, oh, why this whole pound? Why all of it? Are you kidding me? What could we have done with all of these different things? And now it's not to ignore the fact that the poor have need. The Bible is full and we cannot ignore them as a church or as a culture, as an American society, the way that we think. We cannot ignore the fact the Bible is full of commands and injunctions regarding the care of the poor. So in no way does this passage excuse us from helping those that are in need. But at the same time, the poor, as he references them here, could kind of be used as a moral point of moral high ground. That's exactly what Judas tries to do. And he's not going to be the last person to use the poor as a shield for pride or positioning or thieving. It's like we may say today, well, let's think of the children or whatever it may be to push our own agenda. And Jesus here realizes that Mary is thinking about his worship. And Jesus, in turn, thinks about himself too. And we're going to see in a moment that he receives her worship. Why? Because he is God. And his reaction is interesting, isn't it? When you think about what Jesus, it's not something you would expect Jesus to say. But Jesus is thinking about himself while Judas is thinking about Judas. See, that was the concern. Judas thought about himself but tried to twist it in a way to make it look like he was thinking about God. How often do we do that? How often do we do that in our own lives, in our church? Have you ever been in an argument or a discussion, a friendly discussion with a, a spouse, a neighbor, a coworker, a child, a friend, uh, you know, one of your own children? And, and to bring your point across, you bring some sort of Bible verse into it or you bring some sort of spiritual point into it, knowing full well that your intention and your motivation there is not the glory of God. It's the winning of such said conversation. And that's really what Judas is doing here. And there's nothing wrong with giving to the poor. Remember when Jesus meets the rich young ruler, he says, to show me your faith, sell all that you have and give it to who? To the poor. So it's not that Jesus is not concerned with those that have need. But notice what he says in verse number seven. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my bearing has she kept this for the poor always ye have with you. He's not being sarcastic there. He's just saying there will always be a need. And God will always provide a way for you to help those people in need. But me, ye have not always. So you don't have unending moments and opportunities in life in each day to serve and glorify Jesus. You don't have the opportunity to worship in this way every day. She is taking advantage. She's worshiping now because what God has put on her heart. And there is no time to delay in our worship and in our honoring and our glorifying of Christ. Have you ever gone through your week or your day thinking, I'm, I'm going to do this good thing? The Bible says that every opportunity that you have to do good unto all men, especially them that are within the household of faith. And, and so we're supposed to be doing good. Have you ever thought, I, I could do this and honor and glorify Christ, but then a text comes or a negative conversation happens at work? Or uh, something you weren't expecting to have to pay for comes up and now you have to pay for it. Or whatever it may be. And that thing that God had maybe laid on your heart in a way to worship and show 
glory to him all of a sudden gets put on the back seat because it is no longer a convenient time to do it. This was not thought of on a whim by Mary. They're not in her house, remember? So she carried a, a, a bottle of perfume worth a year's worth of, let's say, $50,000, round number, a $50,000 bottle of perfume. She car- I would not take it out of the room, let alone out of my house. And she's walking down streets where there are not streetlights and police posted at the corners and it's not the safest necessarily place to live in the world, but she had planned this in her mind. She didn't just get caught up with emotion seeing Lazarus, her brother, who had been raised from the dead, though she's worshiping him for that in a way. She didn't just get caught up with the emotion of seeing Lazarus by Jesus and then just say, well, you know what, I'm going to go just grab whatever I have. You know, she smashes it and then she's like, oh, what was I thinking? She planned this. There should be moments of life where we don't worship God out of convenience or out of opportunity, but we worship God because it is the plan of our heart. Because I want to. Because I need to. Because I am thinking about Jesus right now. That's why sometimes it's difficult and we don't worship Christ a lot of times outside of this room because this is where it kind of is convenient. This is where we have come to do this. But Mary says, I'm going to plan this in the middle of a day right after a meal. I am going to worship God as I can. And do we worship God during our days as we can? Do you think the words of Scripture Do you sing the words of song? Do you speak words in front of people to His glory? Do you worship God in a planned, concerted way? Mary is thinking about Jesus, and it's a beautiful picture. Notice uh, it it says that the ointment or the odor of the ointment, look at the end of verse 3, wiped his his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, there are some perfumes that you would not like. Your house be filled. Some of you say, oh, let's open the windows. But evidently, this was a strong enough, pleasing enough smell. It says the whole house was filled with it. You, everybody has their cleaning product of choice, right? Um, and there's battlegrounds for battle there, uh, I know, between some families as to what a, a cleaning agent smells like or doesn't. Around our house, we have this certain, I think mainly because it's cheap, but we use this, it's an also nice smelling, this lavender, fabuloso stuff, you know, whatever, and some of you may say, oh, that's awful, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, we mop these, we had ceramic floors in certain areas, and we'll mop the floors with them, and if you've just mopped the floor with them, and you walk into the house, there is no wondering what has just been done. It is obvious, and it smells good, and the whole house is filled with that smell, and you know what has been done in that point. Now, there's another one that lives in my house, and he just turned a year old yesterday. There's certain things that he does that when you walk in the house, you know what has just been done. <laughs> and the aroma fills the room with a different kind of smell. And I, I wonder this morning, when you walk into a room and then you leave, what does the spiritual aroma of your life leave behind? Is it sweet to where someone knows someone that loves Jesus has just been here? Someone that loves Jesus just had a conversation with me. Someone that loves Jesus has impacted my life. Or, like Judas and the disciples, when you walk into a room and then you leave after a conversation, is it a bitter smell? 
Is it a, a, a gut-wrenching stink because of the conversation that you had, because of the criticism that you put toward someone, because of the complaint that you made about something that God is fully in control of, because of the fact that you were not willing to trust Christ with whatever circumstances going on in life. And so we complain about it, we talk about it, we fuss about it. And when we leave, there's not an aroma of Christ. There is aroma of self-righteousness and distrust in our Savior. And so when you leave a room, what scent do you want left wafting behind? Do you smell like success? Do you smell like a get things done kind of person at any cost, no matter who it bothers or hurts? Do you leave behind a scent of being powerful or I told you so or of moral righteousness? Though there may be a place for all of those things, our first concern should be the aroma of Christ in our lives. Do you want to help someone first or punish them first when they fail. When there's someone that's failing you as a Christian, as a, even as a co-worker, even if it's not a spiritual thing, and someone has messed up along the way, is your first reaction to punish and judge that person? To help that person for the glory of Christ. I want you to look as we finish out this portion of this chapter this morning. What really matters in your life? What was the difference between Jesus, or excuse me, between Mary and Judas? What was the difference between them? Was it that Mary did not value the ointment the way that Judas did? Was it that Mary didn't understand the cost? Was it that Mary just looked at this and, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean that much to me, but to Judas it was. He was more fiscally responsible, and so he understood how it were. No, the difference between Mary and Judas was that when Mary looked at Jesus, she said, He is worth everything. When Judas looked at Jesus, he said, How can I get something? She was willing to give everything for someone. And Judas was willing to do anything to get something for himself. The difference between their attitude was the worth that they placed on Jesus Christ. What worth do you place on Jesus? Do you want to leave a legacy? Do you want to leave a mark on this world? Then have the aroma of love and devotion toward Jesus Christ. You want to make a difference in the lives of your coworkers. You want to make a difference in the lives of your children. Show them extravagant, extravagant devotion to Jesus. We want to, we want to do a lot for our kids. We want to do all sorts of things and invest in them money and time and effort. We want to sacrifice. We want them to be in the best position they can be for education. We want them in the best clubs. We want them to get the best scores. And, you know, we'll have them traveling out and playing soccer at two years old and taking them to other states to showcase it. Well, you know, we'll do all these different things. And though those things may have their place and they may be good, if you really want to make a difference in the life of your child, be a mom or a dad that has extravagant devotion to Christ. Because then whatever dumb things we do or say, whatever place we fail, our children will look at us and say, well, I still know that mom and dad loved me and that they loved Jesus. What worth have you placed on Christ in your life this morning? It's interesting, and I'll start bringing this to a close. It's interesting. if you I won't have you turn there for now. Or, or actually, go ahead. I'll change my mind. Go ahead and do it. Look at Matthew 26 real quick. I want you to see the placement of this portion of Scripture. 
time. So we won't read all of the first few verses, but you see there in verse number 6, your heading in your Bible probably says, Mary anoints Jesus for burial. Verse 8, it says the disciples had indignation. She hath poured out this ointment on my body. Verse 12, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you. Now notice this in verse 13. Wheresoever the gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for memorial of her. What they looked at and said, ugh. Jesus looked at and said, she'll never, ever be forgotten. Because of what she did, simply in faith, loving me. But notice the placement. Look at verse number 14. She pours out ointment worth 300 silver coins, right? Look at verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me? I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Judas betrays Christ for a tenth of the value that Mary was willing to pour on his feet. And I wonder this morning, you say, 30 pieces of silver, still a month's wages, not bad, but not, it's no princely sum. I wonder this morning what cheap way we have sold out our relationship with Christ. And we may speak highly, this is what we need to do, but then we sell him out for 30 minutes of pleasure. We sell him out for success. We sell out Christ for a good reputation at the office with people that you might not even like. You sell out Jesus for the approval of teenagers or classmates or children or family. And we sell him out for a whole lot less than 30 pieces of silver. And though we may point our fingers at someone and say, that is not wise, God points to us and say, but what do you value me at? I want to finish with this. What is true worship worth in your life? She showed an act of true worship. True worship is never a waste. So why do we struggle sometimes? Because, to be honest, true worship confronts us. As Mary is breaking that out, she is, here's what she's doing. She's admitting, I am not worth this, but Jesus is. Even this physical thing that I can pour out, I can show it's not worth anything to me compared to the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And we don't enjoy being confronted. When we hear sermons, we don't always want it to confront who He is and who we are and the difference between those. We don't like always actions that confront us. We don't like involvement that confronts us. We don't like to have to commit when it confronts us. We don't like being confronted. And we want to dictate the terms of value in our lives. Think about even the songs that we sing sometimes. There's nothing wrong with singing a song about Christian experience. Or we sang a couple this morning about heaven. There's nothing wrong with singing a song about heaven. But you know what songs should most resonate in our minds and hearts as we go throughout our day? Songs written to our God. Most of the psalms are written to God. Think about how many psalms or how many hymns, how many songs in your hymn book, or how many songs that you sing or that you think in your mind, how many of the songs are about Jesus' stuff and how many of them are written to Jesus? Because those are the ones that confront us. My Jesus, I love thee. It's hard to sing that without really admitting, do you love Jesus or not? Come thou fount of every blessing. God, you have to tune my heart to sing thy praise. God, I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour, oh gracious Lord. Be thou my vision. 
songs that are sung to God confront us. You say, well, I'm not a musical person, but what in your mind does? One of my favorite hymns, I'll finish with this. One of my favorite hymns is written, it's actually a newer hymn written by some of our teens like to sing it when they go to camp and do the wilds and different things. And here's what it says. This is what should confront our hearts in worship. It says, O God, my joy, you reign above in radiant splendor and beauty. Your word has drawn my heart to love the awesome sight of your glory. Your blazing light and gospel grace shine brightly from my Savior's face. No other wonder would I see than Christ enthroned in his glory. Second verse says, sustained by joy in trial and pain, I trust your wisdom and mercy through suffering that your love ordains. More like your son, you will make me. For Christ embraced the cross of shame, beholding glorious joys to come. Oh, give me faith like his to see that suffering lifts me to glory. And then it finishes triumphantly. It says, compelled by joy, I fight the sin that turns my gaze from your glory. Your Holy Spirit dwells within. His presence arms me for victory. Let death and hell against me rise because through death I'll gain eternal joys. All powers of hell will bend the knee before you, my great King of glory. Do you have moments each day where your heart is confronted with who Jesus is in your life? Do you worship Him? We have commercialized and corporatized and systematized our faith. We made it convenient enough for us when it makes sense. But Sometimes we're unwilling to be confronted, unwilling to be made uncomfortable, unwilling to admit how much Jesus is truly worth. And a few days after Mary anoints Jesus, And a few hours after Judas betrays him and sells him away, Jesus would die on a cross alone for sinners who were truly worthless. For sinners who deserved nothing. He is worth everything. I am worth nothing. But often I live my life as though he has saved some special thing by saving me. And I wonder this morning, what is our attitude toward Christ. Is it more like Mary? I will be lavish and I will do things the world will never understand. Or is it like Judas? Does everything have to make sense? Because I need to get something out of Jesus.